Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared obsession, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here today with my brother, Christian Lewis. It's a Brother, Brother podcast. And today, uh, celebrating the Brother, Brother, Brother's love of lists, we are going to run down the pitchfork.com top 200 albums of the 80s. You can now listen to episodes on our brand new BrotherPod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. It's also a place where you can interact with us directly through the talkback feature. Ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search BrotherPod in the App Store to download on your mobile device. As always, you can learn more about the pod at BrotherPod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, let's go back to time when I was a young man and talk the top 200 albums of the 1980s, courtesy of Pitchfork.com. Today we are indulging our love of lists by uh, sort of dragging a fine-tooth comb over the Pitchfork's recently released uh, top 200 albums of the 80s, a decade that I lived through, and uh, Christian um, was born in the the very tail end of. Uh, It's Christian and I tonight, it's Wyndham Lewis, Christian, and I don't know. Have at it. There's a lot of questions here. This raises a lot of questions, including, um, you know, in the intro to this article and this list, uh, Pitchfork includes a link to the their 2002 uh, top 100 albums of the 80s list, which is um, radically different um, than this list. So, you know, that is a discussion point. But I think it started off with like, you know, what's good here? What do you agree with? Well, I, I think there's there's a lot to uh, to enjoy. I mean, you know, when you when you think about the sort of um, the really canonical uh, pop music of, of the 1980s, and um, I use pop sort of very broadly uh, to to include um, you know rock and and let's say even um, sort of uh, rap, R and B, and and I guess in this case experimental music. Um, you know, I, I really do think that it's appropriate that Purple Rain um, anchors the number one spot. You know, I, with with Thriller in, in second place, and um, you know, I think we're we're going to end up diving Thank you, into this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think that we're going to end up diving into this question of, of the sort of revisionism um, that they've uh, that they've engaged in here. Where in two thousand two, you know, we saw a list that looks very much like the kind that I would have made at the end of year old. Well, I was going to say that as a fourteen-year-old in two thousand two, I would have made. Yeah. Um, you know, it really it was it was super heavy on college rock. Daydream Nation was the number one album. Um, you know, it was a lot of stuff that uh, that I think we would agree on this podcast in particular that that we really love. Um, well, and as, is, I would I would add as a as a twenty-two-year-old in nineteen ninety would have looked a lot like my list as well. That's that's right, and you know, I think it's important to to recognize um, also that that at the time, you know. 
first of all, in these early days, uh, these frontier days of the internet, um, you know, Pitchfork was still really sort of trying to establish its, its identity as a, um, as a sort of countercultural music uh, blog. Um, and for Christ's sake, it's owned by Condé Nast now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not shocked that they uh, are, are broadening their appeal and reaching, you know, wider audiences by selecting more, you know, mainstream popular albums. But I think even more than that is the fact that um, 2002 is not so far beyond the 80s. And I really started thinking about, you know, what, frankly, I would think about um, the, the biggest and sort of uh, most important albums of 2005 or 2004, um, and whether my opinion on on the most important albums of those years is likely to change over the next 15 years, and I think that there's a very good chance it will. And, and the parallel, just to put a fine point on it, is you know that um, sure, while these huge sensational pop albums um, in in Thriller and Purple Rain, you know, were were definitely like. They did not go unnoticed, right? Like these, these weren't exactly. Uh, no, in uh, fact, uh, they were the top two selling records of the decade, I believe. So right, but they were also. Like, give or take it was also time. two artists who were still alive. Um, I believe Michael Jackson was still alive in two thousand two. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they were yeah. joking. Yeah, he died uh, in 09. 09, Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, so. Uh, you know, and I, I still productive that, at that point too. It wasn't as if they good? were. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, they're certainly. I wouldn't say he was in his golden era, but he was still performing. I mean, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. I, I, I sort of remember him as a, a celebrity side. I mean, interestingly, like the guy was, as far as I can remember, always a sort of weird celebrity sideshow. Um, but he was also the biggest celebrity ever and the king of pop. So it was like reconciling those two things was very difficult um, as, as a kid, I remember. Um, that said, you know, I, I, I do think it's worth, it, like, there, there, is, uh, there is a difference, um, I think, between, you know, recognizing uh, artists who passed away and, and their sort of their greatest achievements, um, which go down as the greatest achievements, um, you know, and, and artists who are, even if they're, that far on in their career if as you say like michael jackson was still creating um prince was definitely still churning in albums um so you know I, I think that those are pretty pretty significant considerations here uh plus i'm totally cool with nwa straight out of compton being in third place like oh, i like yeah. the new list as well no there's there's certainly elements and I, I think the top 20 you know with with a few exceptions you know um, you know, has, is, is sort of the, you know, a gen, in general, kind of a, a, a right combination of, of records, maybe, you know, and I would, I would re-rank them, certainly. Um, uh, and I'd certainly, you know, I would, you know, probably have some that were further afield and even some that were maybe out of this 200 list um, in my top 20. But, you know, all in all, I, I'm not going to argue... Um, can I pose the or may I pose the question to you actually? Um, so the two, the two lists. I mean, I you know I, I look at them both, and I, I as I said, I like them a lot. Um, do you think that it's safe to say that uh, this is really more about the sort of um, changed editorial identity of, of Pitchfork, where one list is basically um, you know a, a statement of uh, it's 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 the best it's the best hundred albums. Um, as, you know, according to uh, an indie rock 
um, magazine, right? Versus the best 200 albums period of uh, a group that basically considers itself the arbiters of taste in all music. Yeah, I mean, I think so, but there's still, you know, the, uh, you know, underlying both of those is still a sort of music nerddom um, that, you know, the one thing that hasn't gone away in this era, in this sort of, um, you know, newfound uh, inclusionist kind of philosophy it is that, you know, there's still a desire to um, laud the obscure over the popular, Um I think there is, uh, you know, certainly there's a more um, genre-diverse set of albums in the 200, not to mention the fact they had 100 more spaces to play with. But I do think that, um, you know, when I do compare the two lists, I mean, it's it's a change in, in editorial philosophy that is way more fundamental than that, which is that it used to be, this used to be an outpost for... A, you know, a certain kind of music fan, and it is now um, attempting to be more broadly reaching. Um, but I, I think, you know, in essence, it's still, um, you know, a sort of music snobs uh, kind of hideaway. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's, as you, as you say, it's a, um, I mean, it's a more inclusive uh, uh, more inclusive in a lot, like categorically in a lot of different ways. Like mm-hmm. it includes, um, you know, as Philip Glass and Morbid Angel and yeah, but even more fundamentally, it includes rap and R and B in a way that the first list didn't. It includes um, female artists in a way that the first uh, list didn't. I mean, it it really is, um, uh, you know, like indie rock in 1986. I think was was you know so um, so much of a boys' club in many respects, and and you know I, I think that um, that is definitely reflected in the change that's taken place here. And, you know, as, as the note at the opening of the second list explains, um, you know, this is part, partly because, uh, it was, you know, eight people, four of whom are sitting in the same room, um, throwing, uh, throwing ideas against the wall, um, when the first one was made, whereas this was actually a, a, a much broader survey of, of 50 or so, um, you know, editors at, at the magazine, but also, um, also contributing writers who, uh, who, you know, are, are pretty frequently given a byline on the site. So. But I would still say, I would still say that, the, you know, and this is the cynic in me, I would still say that the, the fundamental underlying sort of, uh, motivation for a lot of this vote is distinguishing yourself as a music being fan. Being the coolest nerd. Yeah, yeah, being the coolest nerd. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. Um, and I think that that's evident. All over. I mean, that what it goes to show you is that uh, snobbery is, is not exclusive to, uh, to any, any genre, um, or any, uh, any particular subculture. Yeah. Yeah. I think, but I, I think too, you know, as we said before, there have been seismic changes in a, the way we take in music, but also the way that we view, um, our celebrities and our musicians and our, you know, and music. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I sort of talked, we you sort of discussed briefly before this was the sort of Justin Timberlake um, phenomenon, which is that, you know, there used to be this very sort of insular, the, um, um, fuck the mainstream kind of uh, feeling, you know, among these people. And now there's an embrace of the mainstream, but still at the same time, there is there's acceptable mainstream and unacceptable mainstream. And I, I think I reason that I refer to it as a Justin Timberlake 
um, phenomenon is because it was really he that broke down that barrier. I mean, it would, you know, it was suddenly safe to like uh, people who sell a trillion records when Justin Timberlake revealed himself to be cool. Yeah, and and this is um, evident all over, you know, pop music. I think um, there's a uh, an appreciation for the like for you know certain pops, um, you know, major pop celebrities, but but not others. I think Katy Perry pretty consistently gets the shit end of the stick relative to somebody like um, Lady Gaga or Ariana Grande um, now, as opposed to say Ed Sheeran. Um, yes. I'm not sure which one's on which side of the oh, um, the favorability spectrum. No, I, mean, okay. I think I think if you want to if you want to shit on somebody, you can invoke Ed Sheeran in the same way you could invoke Coldplay for the last ten years. Whereas Ariana Grande has a certain street cred that you know deserved or not, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. You know, she's just she's on the right side of the law in this one. Yeah, I, I mean, was the so tell me though, was this not? True. I mean, I guess it wasn't okay to like Madonna when you were in middle and high school. No, it was okay to like Madonna. Madonna was was a different caliber, as was Michael Jackson was kind of universal. Prince was certainly universal. In the same way that Motorhead was the band that you could like out of the metal genre. Um, But once you said, okay, well, I like Motorhead and I like... You know, I think that rat song is pretty good. It's like, oh, Christ, not that. Um, yeah. You know, so it was one step over the line. I mean, it, the, these were no, these were, you know, this is where the notion of the guilty pleasure comes in. I mean, is Round and Round a really good song? Hell yes, it is. But, you know, liking Rat and liking Motorhead are two very different things. One has credibility, one doesn't. Right, and and that's um, basically credibility that, that is um, governed by... Uh, the amount of suffering one is required to do in order to like them, um, yeah. different crowds of people in high schools. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there is that, you know, I mean, if you notice in this top 200, there's not a single hair metal uh, album, yet there is a, a much wider smattering of, you know, the, the Whitney Houston's, uh, Anita Baker's, and I'm not uh, uh, demeaning, you know, disparaging them in the least. They're all really good. In but, the 200, you said? Yeah, in the two hundred. Um, there's no, there's no hair metal. There's no, yeah. which was the predominant count, popular. Van Halen and Van Halen's not in there. Are they really not? I th- no, I thought they were. Oh my goodness. Okay, you've you've actually done much closer research. I'm just yeah, sorry. I, I actually I poured over the I I labored and sweated and you know, uh, but I mean you know even things like and rage shaking your fists at the heavens all day. No, but yes. but things that things that popped out to me. I mean, there are no police records on this list, yeah, whereas there were several on the prior list, and that was their sort of. Um, that was their sort of uh, um, admission of a guilty pleasure or admission of a mainstream success that was acceptable. Somehow Sting's unctuousness has become so great in, in the intervening years that you can't even like the police anymore, you know? But don't you think one of the Sade records should have been swapped out for a Van Halen record? Uh, one of the... Shadow uh, records? Is that what you... Sade, is that right? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, I don't know if it should be a Sade record or if oh, it should I've be... I've never a, listened a, to him and I don't know how to Or it should be a Godflesh so. record <laughs> that I don't like or it should be a 
you know, or it should be even, you know, isn't anything. Um, I don't know what it should be, but it, or if it should be Ornette Coleman, because I've never listened to that record, although he's a legend. Um, but it is, you know, it, it's interesting. The construct of this is so different. And again, it, it goes back to the, um, you know, I guess it goes back to editorial decision making. But, you know, when you, when I look at this list as opposed to the one that was done um, 16 years ago, I mean, the one thing that we can be sure of is that the last 80s record was released before December 31st, 1989. So the field hasn't changed. Uh, our view of the field has changed. Uh, alternative facts. Yes, sorry. <laughs> um, no, Same I think that, that's absolutely right. What's interesting also, though, is the fact that, um, you know, is, is where you see duplicates. And um, that, you know, you see the same names in both cases. I think this is true. You see the same names, um, you know, a- appearing multiple times within the context of each list. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it sort of goes to show you that um, whatever the methodology here, um, you know, one of the, uh, it, it's, it's clearly weighted in favor. I mean, whoever, whoever is, whoever has, um, the final uh, tally v- voting weight, yeah, is, is, um, is, uh, benefiting from that pretty uniformly across. There, there um, far, are you saying that there's far fewer multiple albums by the same artists? I'm saying there are, no, in both cases, there are multiple albums by the same artists. They are different artists, but, uh, um, there are far fewer. Uh, on on the top 200, which is interesting because there's far fewer slots. But when I take a look at the artists that, you know, were sort of my bread and butter in the 80s, um, you know, certainly some of them have multiples. Prince has multiples. The Smiths have multiples. But, I mean, a band like Husker Du is is requisitioned down down to one um, uh, appearance on this list. There's Uh, a perception that certain bands that don't make the cut um, or that only uh, that only basically, you know, I, I think that influence appears to be a bigger factor as well. Absolutely, in the second list. So it's it's um, which you know, makes the number of ears that they reached and the amount of influence they had sort of limits Husker Du to to one album on the basis that like, you know, they're just they weren't that big empirically. Like, but also the you know, but they but they were in a way. But I would I would um, but I would also say that um, you know, there is a um, you know, there's when I read the the, and I did read this entire list, so um, you know, hit me with questions, <laughs> but um, I did not memorize it, so you know, well, um, the, but no, no, the, but, okay. just let me finish this thought. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. What when I read this list and I when I read the um, the capsule, the sort of blurbs behind each album, there are several where I found out nothing about the album and everything about what, uh, you know, place people think it holds <laughs> what well, that but also who it influenced and where it was sampled yeah um no that's a, that's a great point uh and that would require actually reading some of these um but there's a uh i mean from the handful that i did i i my sort of perspective on it was that this is very much about like planting the flag in certain places so that we have a relatively complete um, sort of representation of uh, genres that we believe to be important. And I'm looking at something like, you know, Minor Threat, which frankly would very easily just get left left off. I think a lot of um, uh, a lot of top 200 lists. Um, obviously, 
you know, even in the reformulation of this, um, they didn't want to leave those guys out. Uh, but but the minor threat family tree occupies four places on this small place in the greater. Yeah, um, it. In, you're saying that that's a lot, or no? I think it's a lot. I mean, I think okay. between you know, and, and I don't, I wouldn't argue with it. But between rites of spring, Fugazi, uh, minor threat, and um, uh, uh, void, uh, faith, the faith and void in terms of yeah, in terms of their weight and record sales. Yeah, well, I mean, sir, that I don't, I wouldn't even uh, consider that. But I think they're punching above their weight in terms of um, you know one one scene's representation. Um, in in the two hundred best albums of a ten year span, yeah, and I like all of them. No, absolutely, um, I, I do too, and you know would would of course include them in, in any one of my lists. Um, I think that it, I, I was a little surprised that that was one of the that that did make the cut rather than um, uh, rather than a handful of other things. Well, yeah, and, you well, know, I mean, that have. B, uh, you know, I, I, I actually listed out, and I, I won't bore you with my list, but there are certain things that will, um, you know, I have a list of albums that I can't believe aren't on here, and that's not exhaustive because, you know, that would take you a year. Um, I have ones that are questionable, and I have ones that, you know, frankly, um, in my lifetime as a, as a fairly focused music fan, I have either never heard or never heard of. You mean like how I've literally never, ever heard anybody say Sade out loud? Sade? That is a different piece because she was actually a huge uh, commercial success. So, you know, it's funny. Like, you know, I think like... But it didn't have a lot of staying power, clearly. Um, I, I, it's hard. It's hard. That one's hard for me to judge because I actually think it, 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 you know, it was extremely loved and beloved and influential, but it became something like... Um, I think it became something, it was so ubiquitous that it, it didn't, like, nobody thinks of, like, Sade as being an artist anymore. It's like hearing... It's it's almost soundtracking an era. Yeah, it's or... almost like hearing girl groups or something and, and try you know. Um, yeah, kind of soundtracked an era. And it, it was of... Um, yeah, I guess I'm not doing... I, I'm, I'm yammering and, and not being very uh, incisive about this, but um, I think those albums were really remarkable and important. Um, the ones I'm talking about in the I don't know who these people are kind of is, you know... The experimental shit? Some of the experimental shit, some of the uh, dance hall stuff that I, you know, I don't know who Horace Andy is. I don't know who, um, you know, some of the, the more... You know, I know who... Uh, Andy Camozzi is because he had a big hit in the 90s, but I don't know what his 1984 album was all about. So there are, you know, and, you know, that's my fault for not being as comprehensive a music fan, but I also, you know, I'm not sure that that should be on uh, here, you know, above and beyond something like Upstairs at Eric's by Yaz or, or, um, you know, Soul Mining by The The or Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables by The Dead Kennedys. Yeah, those, those um, are pretty important records, and I I think that to to the point that we were making earlier, it's not it's not actually in any way to dismiss out of hand um, any of the the sort of new suggestions or its ordering. It's more um, if I don't actually understand where this comes from, uh, you know, just by looking at it, 
Um, I would like it to be explained to me in the description, and frankly, not all of the descriptions, um, you know, do such a great job of that, I think. There's sort of a, uh, there's a asserted obviousness about some of these that I'm not sure um, is actually the case. I have a couple questions written down, and I think they're one-word answers for for both of us, and then we can take a break. But, you know, what genre has most benefited from time away? What genre has been most greatly depreciated? And, um, you know, what artists have depreciated the most? Um, You know, I'll I'll turn that question over to you, and then I'll answer it myself. Uh, Well, let's start with the first one. Um, In terms of the genre that's... Benefited the most. That's benefited the most, I think... um, Oh, that actually, well, I mean, who's, who's doing the listing? Um, but I would say, you know, I think metal's taken much more seriously now than it was. It's taken more seriously. I'm not sure that it's um, more popular. It's hard to beat the, uh, the popularity of um, mid-1980s uh, hair metal, I suppose. Yeah, I, but I think this is heavily weighted towards experimental metal. Um, we uh, at one point uh, well, several months also ago, just always had like a credibility gap with um, hair metal, right? Like absolutely. The, the, the one was core. real and authentic, and one wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and, and it was an authenticity off. Um, the, the funny thing is that we did have a conversation a while back about. I, I believe I brought up the band Yellow, uh, being from Switzerland, and you said, "Can you name another musical act from Switzerland?" and Thankfully for uh, this Pitchfork 200 <laughs> list, there are two Swiss acts on this list. Uh, Lilliput um, oh, and what, Celtic Frost. What, Celtic Frost is from Switzerland? <laughs> yeah, that's why I didn't know that either. <laughs> I certainly didn't know when I saw them open for uh, Guns N' Roses in 1988. Um, I mean, you know, it's funny. Despite the fact that they have a like a cultural signifier or whatever like in their actual band name um, I still I just assume they were Scandinavian yeah um, and I probably is Boards of Canada from Canada? I think uh, Australian are they? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah well and, and by the way Switzerland and Scandinavia um, or Switzerland is to Scandinavia uh, what Canada is to Australia so I think that that actually makes a lot of sense Boom. I will go out on that profundity you want to take a quick break and come back? <laughs> sure.
Welcome back to Brother, 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 and today we are talking about Pitchfork's uh, two lists, um, one from 2002, the top 100 albums of the 1980s, and their newer revised uh, 200 best albums of the 1980s. And, Wyndham, you know, one thing I, I think we were discussing in the first segment is the distinction sort of from an editorial perspective of uh, making making a list that you, you know, state is your, um, you know, is, is, is our 100 uh, best albums of the 1980s versus really um, trying to establish the uh, top 200 albums of the 1980s and doing so from a much sort of um, uh, a much broader and and you know a, a sort of more inclusive stance I guess um, you know taking into account every genre as opposed to um, just the genres that you listen to the most and enjoy the most um, I, I think uh, we were also discussing um, most recently uh, a couple of really interesting questions that you had, what genres have appreciated the most and depreciated the most, um, and I think we both agreed that metal had um, probably uh, had the had the biggest turnaround um, in, in favorability in a positive direction, um, and I wanted to put the question to you, you know, what do you think has really fallen off, uh, fallen off the map or no longer does, uh, receives the respect that um, perhaps it, it it received from uh, from a sixteen year old Wyndham Lewis. Um, I think college rock, although there are, it's it's it varies in its um, you know in in who um, maintained uh, their popularity as opposed to who didn't. I think um, mainstream rock probably dropped off and. Uh, mainstream pop probably um, superseded it in the, in this list, and by that I mean, you know, albums uh, that were you know radio friendly, um, you know, rock records. Uh, yeah, obviously, we can, Joshua we can. Tree is still here. In Excess's Kick is still here, but they seem like consolations, uh, or you know, uh, as opposed to you know, um, you know, some of the bigger. Um, you know, rock records that ran throughout, uh, you know, there's no sign of the police here. Um, you know, I wouldn't uh, be in favor necessarily of a Dire Straits uh, representation, but there's no Dire Straits, uh, one of the biggest bands in the world at that point. There's no sort of, there's no nod to that sort of um, post-classic rock, classic rock, uh, if that makes sense. The, uh, the uh, between, yeah, I mean, the, the sort of the classic rock that bridged the, um, you know, the whether it's Fleetwood Mac or Led Zeppelin or whatever, um, you know, but that Van the, Halen, the, the many different types of the of, yeah popular '80s rock with the Nirvana. Um, yeah, I would say. And, um, so I would say that was a big falling off. Although I don't think it ever had a lot of critical respect. Um, and then I think you know uh, I think hip hop is kind of weirdly on the same plane it was. Before I think it's well regarded. I think '80s hip hop is mostly about um, citing um, sort of uh, the um, you know sort of birth of a movement um, that you know obviously it started in the '70s, but um, '80s was the first time that there were hip hop albums per se, uh, and there's a fairly strong representation here. I think there was probably a fairly wrong, uh, strong representation before. I think, you know, you've got your Run DMCs and your PEs and, um, you know, well, De La Soul and, and the, you know, Native Tongues movement, um, all fairly well represented here. So I don't think there was really a, a marked shift 
and the appreciation of hip hop. Yeah, me. I think it might have uh, grown a little bit, but not a, a ton. I think you're right. I mean, it, it really is um, about appreciating the fact that the 1980s were a time when something that was sort of born on dance floors um, really started to uh, craft multiple different identities and subgenres and avenues. And you know, you start the decade with um, music that's born in, in you know the clubs, basically of, of um, New York and, and, you know, ends with, um, music that's as, uh, diverse and, and different from one another as an, an album like, um, Straight Outta Compton. Yeah, I think it went know, from, versus, I went versus from, Tribe versus, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it went I mean, from so dance hall to, uh, you know, dance floor to singles to albums and that, um, evolution is, you know, I think well documented here where, you know, the bulk of the great hip hop albums, um, that are noted in this list are um, decidedly from the late 80s. So let me get uh, ask you another question then. Um, you know, and, and this is, I think you're, you're hinting at this right now, but sort of, of excellence versus importance, does Pitchfork overrate, um, you know, based on obscurity uh, alone? I think you've said that there's, a, there's definitely a, a predilection to do so among, you know, the sort of um, self-appointed, uh, you know, music scholars um, who, uh, who create these lists. Um, but I, I'm just wondering, you know, what are the really sort of um, broadly popular uh, acts that you think, you know, maybe should have made this list that, that got ignored because they're a little pulpy? Um, I would say... Uh, I would say, you know, the, the ones that I mentioned. Sorry, I, I'm repeating myself. But, you know, I would say that there are some pretty strong um, early 80s British acts that were popular. Um, you know, Yaz, Depeche Mode. Yaz, yeah. Uh, um, in Excess? In Excess I, has one representation here. Not my favorite In Excess album. And, you know, I think, it, you know, they might have been uh, the victims of, of trying to pare down to one rock record per act. And I don't really see a lot of, you know, uh, you know rock... Um, acts here that are represented more than once. Um, and I think that's a, right. I think that's a conscious decision. It feels like a conscious decision. Um, but you, it's sort of like, Oh, we have to give God, we got to give NXS kick. It's due. It was really good. Um, when in fact, you know, that album, you know, was, you know, really pervasive. The one I would say that, you know, maybe, um, is absent from here that, that I think had a sort of consensus, um, even hipster appeal is something like, Def Leppard's Pyromania. Hmm. Uh, I mean, something like The Unforgettable Fire isn't on this list. Um, and I'm not advocating for it necessarily, but it's notably absent as one of the... Or U2 War. You know, I mean, these were all massive records. Um, uh, I, you know... It, um, I don't think there's any country on here, which is interesting if they are, you know, sort of broadening the spectrum to include... Um, you know, a, a, a broader set of genres. I think Lucinda Williams is probably the only person that almost might be the only person on here that can sort of dip her toe in the country um, genre. Um, so it's just, a, it, you know, these are observations. They're not criticisms necessarily, but they are observations that, um, you know, why wouldn't you have something like Guitar Town by, by Steve Earle here? Well, I mean, then that's exactly right, I think, because... Or Lyle um, Lovett. Yeah. No, those are those are or Joy Yoke, even right. Absolutely. Um, 
I mean, I think you know you've got a, you've got a lot of options here. Um, well, I just I, I say that too because you know these you know what amounts to the um, year endless on on um, you know Pitchfork is becoming much more inclusive of of country. Um, you know, the well, I'm always fascinated like that. I'm always fascinated how their year endless basically compared to the aggregated um, decade list, and you know the fact that if you were to base it on a completely like unbiased reading of the data, it would look as though they're saying some years are just more important than the others. And in fact, some years are more important than the, than others in, in music. There's, there's no question about that. Um, one, one question I'd like to pose to you though, is, um, you know, if we go back to this in another 15 years, um, uh, since we're never going to be held accountable for answering this question, um, how do you think it would look different? Well, it's interesting you should ask that because I have gone ahead 15 years and I have looked back <laughs> retrospectively. Um, oh, that's awesome. I actually really didn't know that. We're just that poorly coordinated, so... Yeah. No, I don't I don't know. I mean, it feels like, um, you know, this, this seems such a reconsideration. Um, I don't, you know, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that Pitchfork is going to be the, the, the sort of arbiter at that point necessarily, but I do think that... You know, maybe some things creep back in. There are there are ebbs and flows of of you know what is you know seen, a, and and I think Sade is a perfect example of that. Where you know somebody like uh, Enya, who um, you know Orinoco flow, uh, I saw used to great um, effect in the movie Eighth Grade recently, um, and I was thinking about it. I was like, wow, this song is kind of great, um, but. Enya is not cool, and Shade is really cool. Uh, was beautiful and and you know seductive. Uh, um, I don't know. You know, I, I I wonder if the you know if if albums like Roxy Music's Avalon fall off in fifteen years because nobody remembers them and nobody has any touchstone to it whatsoever. Um, does it just become a relic? I think Bleach doesn't belong on here to begin with. I, so. d- I don't either. I mean, I, I think it's one of those things that, like... That's a retrospective kind of assessment yeah, of, totally. of the situation, which I don't believe. Uh, I, I, you know, like, I, I say this all the time, you know, uh, in, in my criticism of, of television and movies, there are movies that are about a time period and there are movies that feel of a time period and they're very different experiences and I like something that feels of the period it's about, not about the period through the lens of modern day or current um, you know uh, sort of um, a current lens because they were different times you can't really um you know, you can't go back with the same um, sensibilities that you have uh, evolved into and and sort of reassess a period. And I feel like that's um, part of what I am questioning with um, this list. Uh, it, you know, is this seen now through a, uh, the current lens? Is it too academic an exercise? is there anybody who was there and that's my own bias, but is there anybody who was there that can sort of say, yeah, well, you know, this one hit harder than, than this or, or is everything, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, studied to the point where, um, well, this became important. So it is important. I think it's difficult to contest with nurse with wounds, uh, uh, album soliloquy for Lilith. Um, 
Um, so. By the way, it was on it was on both lists. Really? Yes. That's a and I'm I'm not a huge fan, but that is a you know that's always been seen as sort of a landmark uh, ambient record, um, and it was you know it's its own thing. But again, like you know I I, I think it's safe to say that that might be something that drops off um, as uh, as the people who remember that it was the landmark ambient record start to fade out of the picture. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's, you know, it's Aphex Twin before Aphex Twin, but um, what, you know, what are the, what are the most glaring um, omissions to you? Uh, I guess, you know, multiple part question again, and we'll try and kick up a conversation around it. What are the most glaring omissions? What are the ones you wouldn't have included? And, um, you know, what are the ones that you find to be Woefully well, underranked I mean, or overrated. Uh, I think my underrated. Well, my answer to what you know what's been what's been pretty severely underrated is. Um, uh, well, I'm going to have more answers than there are actual places to put them. Um, Fine. So you know, I, I think that uh, you know you start but with stuff like I couldn't believe that that Flipper came in in the last. Um, in the last 10 albums, uh, on the 200 list, um, sticking with the same, uh, because they uh, shouldn't have been there because they should have been higher. No, they should have been higher. Oh, okay. Um, and but I, I, but I listened I, to every day at breakfast for, uh, you know, when I was 18 years old. So exactly. And I think that that's, I mean, when you think about how much time it's actually spent, um, uh, playing in your house, um, you know, it, it gets a, pretty significant um spot what's your uh what's your top underrated album that's on the list yes what is the most underrated album on the list the pretenders first Mm -hmm. record um i think the pretenders first record is a top 20 uh of the 80s and it's at 121 i believe so uh that was one that struck me very i was like um i think that's a really i think that's it, it, it hits all three marks as far as I'm concerned. It's great. It was extremely influential. Um, it was groundbreaking. Um, and it was popular. That's four. Could you say the four same thing? Four out of three ain't bad. About uh, British Steel? Um, uh, I was surprised that that was as low as it was. I think that that's the kind of thing that's going to get... Um, a much higher spot 15 years from now. Really? I, I don't think so. I like British Steel a lot. Um, if they included more uh, of that sort of second, uh, the, you know, new wave of British metal, that sort of early 80s metal, more than just, um, you know, a Number of the Beast and British Steel, which I would agree are the best two of that um, particular era and genre, um, I could see that. I mean... I would throw Ozzy Osbourne's uh, Blizzard of Oz on there. Um, but I'm fucking rocks. <laughs> yeah, it's really pretty great. Um, certainly Van Halen's, um, you know, 80s uh, David Lee Roth output. I would, you know, I would figure out a way to put one or two of those. I can't remember exactly which ones were released in 80, I believe, uh, Fair Warning um, or, you know... Um, and uh, Diver Down certainly was, but I, Fair Warning in 1984, but I think... Um, I think Van Halen 1 and 2 are both 70s records. Um, you know, 
I would my my you know the big crime on here for me was was the Pretenders because I love that record so much and I think it was all of the above. I think it was probably penalized for being popular, but people don't remember how groundbreaking and and interesting that album was and Depends how if it was yeah yeah it was great. Um, so I'll pick one that I think is overrated in the sense that I don't think it should be on here at all, and that's the Derudi column. Oh, I. I, I... I have them decidedly in my questionable column. <laughs> I hate I hate that record. I mean, I've got a bunch that I, I don't think should be on here. I mean, Bleach, I don't think should be on here. Third Base, I loved that record when I was younger. I don't think it should be on here. McCartney 2 um, shouldn't be on here. Um, uh, you know, there's a, I have my own issues with Daniel Johnston. Um, and... Uh, I, you know, then there's other things like Yoko Ono, which I just, I, that's a just, that, that has never, I've never understood why that has the critical acclaim it does. Really? No. Um, but that's more taste. Well, I, can, you know, I, can give you, I can give you a hint. It's not necessarily 100% due to the music. Uh, no, I know. But, I mean, you know, John Lennon had a solo album in 1980. Um, Paul McCartney had one too, and McCartney's is on here. I don't get that. McCartney was a, yeah. a joke at that point, and his and his music. Um, but she was, inherited. I mean, she sort of inherited the mantle that that of Lennon's solo career in a way, don't you think? I mean, that's certainly no. Her voice. No, I think she was well known for being uh, John Lennon's wife. I think she was fully acknowledged as an avant-garde musician. As a, as a totally and different like type it. of musician. But, yeah. I mean, as a symbol of. Okay, so the the music can be completely unrelated it just it, it was like that is the sort of thread of continuity that we have and I certainly felt like it was the it was how you connect with like the sort of Lennon solo career um, not that I'm saying you discover his solo career through her music I'm saying if you want to express your um, uh, appreciation you know, appreciation of it like that's one way to do that mm-hmm. and that was certainly um, my sort of observation and and as I was becoming acquainted with that music. Yeah. Um, um, so. You know, I've got a, a longer list of things I think should be on here, um, but I, I, I... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think um, a, another criminally low-ranked uh, album would be Back in Black. I would agree. <clears throat> and I would say Fleetwood Max Tango in the Night has no business being on here despite the, the pleas I've made for popular mainstream music. Yeah. But, you know, the ones that I find criminally absent are, like I said before, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. Um, I think the wrong Tears for Fears album is on here. I think The Hurting's a better record. Soul Mining by The The. Um, the two cult albums that came out in the, um, in the 80s, I think, would make a good... Um, uh, statement for mainstream album-oriented rock. Um, obviously, you know the every other X record, which is uh, highly unpredictable for, coming from my camp. Um, multiple <laughs> XTC albums, uh, sound effects by the Jam, um, and uh, you know, I think uh, you know, I think all of those. And upstairs at Eric's by Yaz, I think it was it was a really Influential. The funny thing about Upstairs at Eric's is that it was actually a really popular record in England and in America. 
Um, and it kind of gave the blueprint for all that Detroit techno that everybody is so, you know, that gets so highly rated. Um, it is, it was the time when, you know, Vince Clark and, and Alice Moye got together and did this sort of soulful vocal over electronic music that, you know, Heron 2 had really not been invented beyond the sort of, you know, disco or, you know, Diana Ross, Giorgio Moroder. Um, this this took it in a in a much more synth heavy electronic um, direction. It's almost like it was the um, direct descendant of the Diana Ross. I mean, sorry, the Donna Summer, Giorgio Moroder stuff. But it was uh, more pop song oriented and less, you know, I don't know. It. Uh, it was fit for dancing, and that's a wildly overlooked record. So there you go. Well, with that, I think um, I think we've just about. Uh, I, I've certainly gotten all my points in. I think about this. I think everybody should go out and check out the uh, the list and come up with their own, um, you know, ninety nine theses and and um, list of grievances. But that's why uh, we love lists, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's part of the part of the appeal. Um, so uh, should we take a quick break and come back and? Um, yes, get to our should. own list. I agree. conversation about Pitchfork's top 200 albums of the 1980s, and we're going to end this podcast the way we end every podcast. Uh, Wyndham, what are you listening to? Ah, it's funny you should ask. Um, Spiritualized came out with a new record this week, and uh, that takes us back to the Pitchfork 200 list um, and the 100 list that uh, from way back that had um, uh, Spaceman 3 um, included in it. They have grown up and out a lot, and um, the offshoot of that band, Spiritualized, uh, Jay Spaceman, a.k.a. Jason Pierce's band, has sort of uh, established its sonic palette. They are threatening 
this to be the last album that they ever do. And if it is, um, they're going out on a good note. It's a really good album. It doesn't take you in a whole lot of different new directions, but everything I've realized, I've come to realize that everything Spiritualize has ever done has been really good. Um, they, we've never really recognized them for their consistency, but, you know, I, what is this sort of, you know, six or seven albums over the past 23 years, 24 years. Um, they're a great band and they will, uh, certainly, uh, live on, on any nineties and two thousands, uh, top 200 list. So I highly recommend the new spiritualized. And I've also been revisiting the, the, because I'm going to see them, um, for the first time since I was in college and Johnny Marr was playing guitar with them, um, on Friday night. And so looking forward to that and revisiting the albums that I didn't pay that close attention to when I was younger, I was sort of, they were a sort of one album, uh, juggernaut for me. I was a huge soul mining fan and was never as big a fan as of anything they did subsequently. So I'm going to go back and listen to albums like infected and dusk and, and, um, see if I can uh, capture the magic that didn't strike me when I first listened to those. So that's what I've been doing. Well, having a slightly newer or more recent entry point into this band, um, I would not uh, advise you to get your hopes up. I think um, The The has one really unbelievable album, and it just, you know, it it sort of blows everything else out of the water. Um, I have been listening to... uh, well, I've been watching Ozark, um, which has come back to a lot of hype. Um, I think that one of the really exciting aspects of that show last time it was around was the fact that it really did feel like it was creeping out of nowhere. Um, we were getting, you know, great directing and, and great sort of show running out of um, uh, an actor who we didn't necessarily expect that sort of. Um, uh, that type of talent to come from, but um, my experience thus far, I've got to say, is like, and I'm I'm waiting to be surprised, and I I could very easily turn a corner on this, but but so far, um, my sense is that they might have responded a little bit too um, uh, too much to the reviews and criticism, and and sort of, you know, followed um, followed the various advice to to give certain characters more screen time and other characters less screen time. Plus, I think there's just I mean, the, the fact is it, it is built around a sort of plot or concept that feels um, a little bit contrived as if when this show came out, they were not actually sure they were going to have a second season. Of course, they weren't sure, but um, they, they perhaps didn't, didn't think they were going to. So, um, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of runway to work with. Uh, we'll see what they can do. All right. Well, let's, um, let's uh, put a song each on the... Um 4,200 10 best songs of all time. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to uh, take Sure. Um, I'll, yeah, uh, Cowboys from Hell by Pantera. Ooh, interesting. I would have, uh, I would have thought you would have gone the walk if you were going Pantera, but good. We're, uh, we're on the same page. We're both going hard rock. And uh, I'm going with uh, uh, an album that I think was uh, uh, left off the list you know, I'm not going to go to the mat saying it was criminally left off the list or, or anything like that, but an album I enjoyed thoroughly in real time in the 80s that is Love by the Cult, and I'm going... Oh, actually, uh, Electric by the Cult, and I'm going with Wildflower. Nice choice. Thank you. The best right, ACDC well, this- song they never did. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, we will, uh, we will catch up next week. Thanks. Awesome. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.